My guest this week is Simon Hooper, or as he's known to many across social media, Father of Daughters, or FUD for short. Simon was one of the first dad-specific accounts that I started following on Instagram four years ago. And I remember thinking how cool it was to see a dad operating in a space that was, and still is, heavily dominated by mums. In our chat, we cover a range of topics, including his early thoughts and feelings when he first found out he was going to be a dad, how he balances a secular career alongside being a parent, raising children in a social media era and the challenges that that brings, as well as his true feelings towards social media and what it was like for him when he recently decided to take a brief hiatus from it all. So here it is, episode three of the Diary of a Dad podcast with Simon Hooper, aka Father of Daughters. Welcome, Simon. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks very much for having me on. I've been looking forward to finally having a chat with you after talking with you for ages over the years. Um, So yeah, lovely to have me on. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. It has been some time, actually. I mean, anything that's happened in the last two years almost doesn't count. Um, And I think I remember when I WhatsApped you and I was saying, oh, I've just seen the last time that we were WhatsApping was like 2020 or something like that. And how much has happened in the world since then is just insane. I know. It seems to have been like life has been on hold for a long period of time. Um, And whether we liked it or not, we've all got to know our kids a hell of a lot better during that time as well, just because of the amount of time we spent with them. So uh, yeah, it's been an interesting one. Yeah, we definitely have. And I think we can can get into that conversation um, a little bit later, because I think there's so much to kind of explore around, you know, what lockdown has been like for, for so many parents. Um, something that I do on this podcast very, just to kick things off really is almost take things right the way back to the beginning. So understanding a little bit more about what life was like for my guests growing up. So talk to me about a young Simon Hooper and what life was like there. A young Simon Hooper. <laughs> it's a story in itself, I guess. I don't know. I, I grew up um, as part of a family of five. So I have a brother and a sister. Um, my brother has uh, a job that I'm very jealous of. He's a uh, Formula One mechanic for McLaren. So he's currently out in the Middle East, which is great. And uh, my sister, um, Izzy, she's uh, she works in marketing in London. Um, and we grew up in the West Country, uh, in uh, just outside Bristol, uh, although I was born in Cambridge. And... Um, I went to a village primary school and then moved back moved into the city with my family. And I think it's, my friends used to call my family the Waltons because we were kind of weirdly perfect, but imperfect in many ways as well. Um, slightly emotionally repressed and not necessarily sharing how we feel about things. Um, but I think that's how our family dynamic works. And mm. I think growing up with brothers and sisters as well has been fantastic for me. I've always enjoyed having my siblings and we're very close now, even though we might not have been so close when we were younger because you have that sibling rivalry, which I'm now seeing through my own children as well. Um, but um, yeah, I, I've I've always been heavily involved in sport um, and I love sport and I'm trying to instill that in my children as well. And I, I'm still doing it now, even though I'm approaching 40 and still think I have the body of a 21 year old, which I definitely <laughs> don't. Um, and yeah, so I really kind of started um, with school there and, and meeting lots of my friends and family, which I still have today. Um, and then we moved to London when we were uh, relatively young, so 22, 23, um, mm. at which point we'd already had Anya. Um, so, I mean, it's 
you know, there was a, a quick acceleration from university to responsible adulthood, I guess, that happened um, that we didn't necessarily plan for. But it's one of those things you kind of roll with, don't you? Even though I was petrified. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's really interesting because you, I mean, I, I guess that's a, a fairly average sized family, you know, you and your, mm-hmm. your siblings there. When you were, um, when you were growing up, were you one of those people that just knew that you were one day going to go on to have your own family? Was it was that like ever a thought that went through your mind? I don't know. I, I reckon if you did a survey of teenage boys, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I don't know what their response would be, but I'm pr- pretty sure they're not thinking about having families. <laughs> that's, that's not something that was crossing my mind. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I always wanted to have a family of uh, of three because I, I love that dynamic and Clemmy mm-hmm. was similarly from three as well so that was the the plan when we started talking about family planning but we we hadn't really thought about those things um I mean it, uh, our uh, when we when we first met we had plans to make sure that we were going traveling and to be able to get some time to get to know each other and live together and uh, obviously things didn't necessarily plan out that way um I think we were pregnant three months after university had finished after we just moved into a flat together (laughs) um so yeah that was uh, a kind of nerve-wracking moment but yeah I'd always liked the um the idea of having three kids um because I think that dynamic works well yeah I guess with that's you know if that's what you've been familiar with and if as you say if if that's what Clemmy experienced as well then that probably just felt like the the normal the normal setup and scenario. Yeah. So talk to me then about that time when you first found out. You, you've alluded to it there. That first point where you find out that you've got a baby on the way. <laughs> How was that? Yeah, I remember Clemmy telling me, and I was. You're supposed to be happy about these things, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I don't remember being particularly happy about it, to be honest with you. I think Clemmie showed me the pregnancy test and I wasn't even conscious that she'd taken one, I don't think. Right. And maybe I was from memory. I can't remember. But um, I do remember my legs going completely weak and having to lie down for a bit because at that stage after university, you're, like I was thinking about my career. Like, where's my life yeah. going to go? How are we going to... How are we going to forge our way forwards, be able to get to a steady platform to be able to make sure, we, you know, we can have a family in the future and all that kind of stuff. And it seemed like those foundational pieces hadn't been put in place yet. And I, of course, I wasn't ready more than anything else. I think Clemmy was upset as well because, you know, she had her plans. She was just embarking on her career in midwifery and, you know, she was going to then have to take a break immediately, pretty mm. much immediately as she started on her new career. So both of us were really hesitant. But I think after about um, a week or two, we got our heads around it. I actually thought, you know, we're actually capable of doing this. We can do it. But it was about telling our parents that was probably going to be the biggest challenge, Um, or at least mentally, uh, and especially for me. Um, I don't know why, but in my head, I had this preconception that I'd somehow let my parents down by having a child uh, relatively early in life. And I was nervous about telling them because... They'd invested a lot of time and money in my education and all of that kind of stuff. And I don't know why, but I thought that I thought they would see me as failing in some way, yeah. which is completely ridiculous um, now. But I, at that time, it was the most important thing because I was about to embark on a career in London and how would this affect me and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, telling my parents was probably the hardest thing because that was a real acknowledgement that this was going to happen. 
Yeah. And that's probably the the thing that I struggled with the most. Yeah. And it's it's quite strange, isn't it? Because I guess as well, there's there's kind of a generational thing, I suppose, you know, a kid's you weren't a kid, you 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 in your early twenties, but you know, early twenty year olds now having that same sort of thinking when they're having to tell their parents. I guess it all comes down to the circumstances. Like you said, I suppose there was that cocktail of things, wasn't it? You know, you were fresh out of uni, you've got careers, you've got things that you're looking forward to. And I guess, you know, a child at that point does sometimes feel like a bit of an interruption. I think it's it's only been in recent times where people have almost embraced the fact that parenthood isn't the end. Yeah. You know, I think even even looking back at when we first became parents, I remember someone saying, oh, you know, you're not going to be able to travel now or you're not going to be able to do this. And actually yeah you kind of just make it work somehow exactly and uh, but but you're right it is a change in in the last kind of 10 years mm. especially when it comes about flexible working and things like that and people valuing having paternity leave and making sure you take it and all of that kind of stuff because when i joined the company i, I still work for the same company i joined um but we've been through lots of mergers so it's like three different companies now but um when i first joined that company I actually don't remember telling anyone I had a five-week-old baby. Right. <laughs> because you are almost expected as a graduate to come in and do what you're told, yeah. right? Because you want to be able to be seen to be the person who's, you know, committed and all of that kind of stuff. And within, I think it was about four weeks or six weeks of being in the company, um, my manager at the time said, oh, there's a great opportunity. We want you to go on secondment to Holland for six months. Right. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just agreed without thinking about it at all. Um, we just moved to London and Clemmie and I were living in a basement flat in Brixton. Um, we didn't know anyone. Clemmie was on her maternity leave. I'd had my paternity leave. That was done. And... I just, I went to Holland Monday to Friday for six months. Wow. And I, it was one of the biggest regrets that I've ever done is that I didn't speak up for myself. Right. But there is always the, that niggling feeling in the back of my mind is that if I had turned that down, would I have then been passed over for other opportunities as well? And I know this is something that women go through when they come back from returning to, um, returning to work for maternity leave. But I probably experienced a small part of that um, mm. because it was a fear of being passed over because I'd said no to something because I'm a parent at a relative young age. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think anyone who's been in that situation can completely relate to things. You're right. Things have got so much better. The conversation's so much more progressive, but even still, I think we're still a long way off people feeling completely comfortable. And to be fair, it's probably been the only, or not the only, but one of the positives of the last couple of years is that, as you mentioned, the flexible working arrangements, that's been enforced on a lot of companies. And I suppose now it's made people realize that actually there is a lot more to it than, you know, the standard, we called them nine to fives, but the reality is for so many people, it was more like eight to sevens yeah. because, you know, the amount of time that you were out the house. Um, so how was that then in, in, in those early days? You're, you're doing obviously a hell of a lot of time away with a young mm. child. 
how, how were you kind of keeping on top of what was going on? You know, or was it just that you were a weekend dad, essentially? Yeah, I mean, the, the sad part is that I probably was the weekend dad for mm. the first six months. And that's why I said it was one of my regrets. Mm. Um, it's something that I would go back and probably change if I could. Um, but that actually kind of set a platform for subsequent children as they came along to make sure that I didn't do that again. Yeah. Um, I, obviously, my work does in tra- involve travel, so I spend time in Asia, in America. Um, but I now make or have made a conscious effort to make sure it's not for huge long periods of time. Yeah. And that you know, I'm. I, I also learned that I really like being a dad. I like being present. I like being involved. And you cannot do that if you decide to throw yourself solely into work. And it's a hard balance. It's not an easy thing to be able to get right. Uh, and I don't think anyone's ever got it right. Uh, but it's as long as you feel like you're giving a good proportion of your time, not just to your children, but to your partner, if you've got a partner, how you are uh, making sure you're carrying the burden as well or, or sharing the responsibilities because and I, I take my hat, hat off to single parents because I don't know how they do it. But yeah. it, parenting is a team sport um, and it's it, without the other partner and without, without the other person to support you when things are going wrong or celebrate when the things are going well. It, it can be a really challenging thing to get right. And um, so there's no perfect answer to it, but we just need to kind of make sure we're balancing it, even though it usually ends in arguments at some point. <laughs> it's it's definitely a learning curve. And I think what's really interesting is, I think when people are in situations like yourselves, where it's almost, a, you guys were, were clear that, you know, Monday to Friday, you were going to be away. So Clemmy was having to deal with things, you know, Monday to Friday, and then you'd come in. I yeah. bet if I spoke to her, she would probably say that you probably upset the balance a little bit, maybe on on the weekends, because I was talking to a friend of yeah. mine recently and they're in that situation, you know, and she was just saying that when he's around, he's just, he just messes up the whole routine. You know, it's, yeah. you know, that that's kind of the way, the way things were, but it was good to hear that you were, you know, that time that you did have that obviously, you know, was, was valuable and you were, I guess, really enjoying that. Yeah. I think you've kind of hit on something which I'd kind of maybe repressed is that 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 almost that fun time parent that just kind of drops in, mm. destroys all the rules <laughs> and then just, you know, get, takes all the glory because the children love you because you play all the time. Mm. And to a weird extent, I mean, I'm, I still love that role, right? But the, you have to be an authoritarian at some point to have some rules and responsibilities in place. And because I hadn't, I mean, luckily, you know, and Anya was very young when when that was happening, so we weren't in that situation as if she was five or something like that. But mm-hmm. you know, I think that's one of the things that I'm still struggling to get the balance right. Is there's a there's a friendship that you have with your children, but you are also responsible for them for knowing where the boundaries are. Yeah, and I think sometimes I I think Clemmy calls me soft um, for like not being strong enough around some of the rules my opinion and her opinion on these things differ slightly and that's where another complication with parenting comes in like how strict should you be how forceful should you be with certain things um how much should you project your beliefs onto them and all of that kind of thing you know that's i'm very of a calm and relaxed person and clemmy on, on the counterbalance is very much a scorpio and quite fiery and hot but then burns herself out very quickly and you know, we do kind of counterbalance each other, but it, there are also conflictions in terms of what we see as important. Um, yeah. And I think that's something you learn as you go along, but you're always going to have differences because as parents, we're different people. We came from different backgrounds. We, we did have different experiences. Mm. Um, and that that 
it's that um, balance between the two different parents is about how that parenting style is developed, I guess. Yeah. And I, the, the reality is you can't, it, that's one thing that you just can't plan for. You know, even those people that are talking about planning a family and what they're going to be like as parents, when that child comes along, the reality is, I would say 90% of those rules go out the window. Yeah. And especially once you start then to have multiple children, because you realize you're dealing with different humans and yeah. different situations and different circumstances. So I suppose the positive thing in there, that's probably a nice segue into this because you've, you've gone through this experience with, with first child with, with Anya and it clearly hadn't put you off continuing to, to, to have children. Second, when, when Marnie comes along, do you, is, is that now sort of more a, a planned conversation that, that you guys have? What was, what was sort of like your current, your situation at that point? Yeah, I think you hit that one on the head. So Anya was a happy surprise. Mm. Marnie was a planned <laughs> planned <laughs> child. And then the twins, uh, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about later, but they're, they're kind of planned and not planned at the same time because I don't think anyone plans for twins, do they? No. They, don't, they? Don't say, "Yeah, we're going to make some twins tonight." Woo! Can't wait. Let's double our workload. No. Um, so yeah, that's um, yeah, that was fun. Uh, Marnie, yes, definitely very much more planned, and um, we wanted Anya to have a, a, a sister or a brother. And I, I think that's one question I do get is like, "You've got four girls. Like, would you like to have had a boy?" Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Like I, I initially, maybe when we didn't have any children, then it would have been nice to maybe start with a boy. I don't know. Uh, maybe just because I'm a boy and I had preconceptions that, oh, if I've got a boy, then I can play sport more and do all that kind of stuff, which is irrelevant to the conversation because girls play sport just as much as boys and they're just as messy and dirty exactly. as boys and everything else. So <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things that I've learned as I've gone along. But um, yeah, so when Marnie came along into the world, um, one, I was kind of like, ah, another girl. Okay. Um, I'm now genetically predisposed to creating girls, yeah. uh, which is nice to know. Um, and then I kind of like, I was really looking forward to the opportunity to being around in those first six months and like, and really seeing, you know, what that was like firsthand. Cause I hadn't really seen it apart from, um, being at the weekends with Anya. Um, so that was a whole kind of different experience. And that, that was the opportunity for me to get really kind of stuck in with like just the, the admin that goes with children, you know, bathing and, and changing and uh, swaddling and everything else that goes with it and mix feeding and all that kind of stuff. And that was, that was great. I loved it. And I kind of throw myself into it. And Clemmie gets annoyed when I say this now, but I'm like, oh, yeah, we should have another one. But I'm, I physically can't have another one because I've had a vasectomy. But, but I, would, I would definitely be up for it because I love that baby stage, whereas I think Clemmie's like, no, yeah. definitely not. Not doing that again. It's not your body that has to go through it. So. <laughs> and, and that's really like an interesting thing, isn't it? Because there are, I mean, obviously, you know, between us, we've got nine children. So we've mm -hmm. obviously all had those conversations around, you know, whether you're going to have more or, you know, and it is really interesting, the things that you think about, you know, like Sophie, for me, she, she loves the idea of being pregnant. Yeah. I find that early stage really enjoyable, but also quite challenging because yeah. it's, you know, the upset in routine and it's, you know, all of that, that you're having to go through, through again. Yeah. And I always kind of just remind myself it doesn't last forever, but yeah. six months, nine months, a year feels like a hell of a lot of time when you're yeah, in it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And I think the one thing that 
kind of uh, you, your body has that your your mind has a way of forgetting the painful parts right yeah. so you only think about the rose tinted images in your mind about how it was when you were waking up with your child cuddled in your arms you forget about the yeah. spitting up and vomiting and the diarrhea and the up, up the back poo and all the kind of stuff like that yeah <laughs> um, which is which is a nice way of coping it's a human coping, coping mechanism that we don't remember those bad things those traumatic things but um yeah it's it's just uh, you know, I, I'm I, I'm okay with going through that kind of thing again, um, but yeah, but it, that's not going to happen. So, so we do, it's a null and void conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no. And what's the, the so the age difference between Anya and Marnie? You've got how many years is that? Uh, it's three years. Yeah, three years. Okay, yeah. so quite a nice. You you know you you've got you've got a toddler on your hands when the new baby comes along, and that's. Yeah, that's that's quite a, an enjoyable, yeah, an enjoyable. Setup, I mean, that that it? was one of the things that I don't think anyone can prepare you for is the uh, the change in the setup when you have a, mm. a second child or a third child or a fourth child. I mean, as you keep adding children, you probably get a bit more experience, obviously, and it's not too much of a bother because the older siblings then start to help out a bit more. But um, yeah, but that, when the second one came along, it was that division of labour, right? Who's now responsible for doing the school run or the nursery yeah. run while I'm looking after the baby and you've got to go to a group and I'll remember to be finishing, uh, finishing work at five past five tonight because you've got to get the train to be able to pick up that kid. You know, it's just yeah. one of those things that you you think your life is busy when you've got one child and then you add in another one and you think, wow, what was I complaining about before? Yeah. <laughs> and even thinking back to when you used to complain about stuff pre-children, I know we were talking about this the other day, you know, yeah. things like tiredness or, you know, like the routine. You're just like, how on earth did I have anything yeah. to moan about when, yeah. uh, when, when things are, are very, very busy now. Exactly. So you've, you're now, at, you're now at two children. Yep. You are still living in, you're still in London at this point. Yeah. And what's what I found really interesting is obviously, you know, you guys have kind of just continued to work through um, for your respective companies yep. like this, this entire time. Um, Cause I'm thinking, I can't, I can't remember how I became aware of you, but well, I was looking on my Instagram the other day and there's now a feature where you can sort of check when you sort of like reorder it to when you started following people. Oh, um, right. And I think that you were what you were one of the first dads on Instagram that I became aware of. Yeah. At what point did you kind of start the Instagram? Which, at which point in, in your fatherhood journey were, were you active? Yeah, it was maybe probably about two, two months after the twins were born. I think I was just right. thinking that one, I, I there, there was no dads talking about parenting, um, mm. and when they when they were, it was a lot of just moaning and like stuff that I was just like, oh, okay, fine. Um, and then there was this whole wave of instant mums, I guess, that were starting, um, mm. and they were talking kind of truthfully about you know what was happening in their lives and you know what the challenges were, but what the celebrations were and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I thought maybe it'd be interesting just to kind of talk about the mundane stuff. I think there was this whole thing on Instagram that you create this perfect life and project it out there and blah, blah, blah. No one lives like that. Everyone sees through it, surely. Mm. Um, and I just wanted to make fun of the, the mundane parts of life because we all do them. And that was more relevant to my yeah. life. I, I didn't want to follow glamorous people doing stuff that was out of my reach so i was more interested in you know how are people dealing with the staining on the terry's nappies that they're dealing with and how can you make a joke out of it <laughs> um so that's why i started it 
And then it kind of grew quite rapidly. I hadn't really thought about, you know, who might follow me. Uh, I think maybe I was yeah. hoping that more dads might. The reality is uh, 92% mm. of my followers are female. So it's not, it hasn't really worked yeah, out that way. Exactly the same. Yeah. yeah. But I think, the, I think that's because maybe men don't use social media as much. Or when they do, they don't probably follow people or individuals. So I think that's my, my own experience is that I don't follow many people on, on social media. I'm more interested in things, mm. so cycling or you know playing rugby or football or something like that. It's rather than an individual. Um, so yeah, anyway, it kind of grew rapidly from there, um, and then uh, yeah, kind of took me on this kind of whirlwind that it's been on ever since. But yeah, I've, uh, one thing I made very very clear at the very start is that this isn't a career. This is something that I do for fun, yeah. and and if it's not fun mm. anymore, then. I don't know what's the point. I, if you, I, I yeah. I'm not sure how some people throw their whole lives and careers into this thing. Um, oh, but then again, I'm quite risk averse, so maybe, maybe that's just because <laughs> I, I didn't want to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, and it's a it's an interesting one. I think anyone that's used Instagram for you know got into it in in any way, you know, people talk about that sort of love hate relationship. It's a fantastic tool. It you know create some amazing moments, some amazing conversations. I think what you said there was probably how I sort of felt when I was first following you is that there definitely wasn't many dads in the space, mm. or if they were, I, I didn't know that they existed. Um, and, and you were sort of, if you, for want of a better expression, leading the way in terms of, you know, documenting it. And, and I guess the consistency, because I think that's what I'd noticed with the mums was that, the mums were very consistent with it because they were documenting in many cases their pregnancy journey. So it was something to talk about every single day, yeah. how they were feeling, yeah. you know, gearing up to going on maternity leave. And then when they were actually on maternity leave, they've now suddenly got a year where they've got the opportunity to document this journey yeah. of, you know, motherhood and what's what's going on. And I think that's why the the, the space has lent itself so nicely to to mothers. Whereas for the most part, fathers were, like you said, get the two weeks off work, back to work. Yeah. And there wasn't that time to then sort of document everything that was going on. I, I think also that, well, the, the way in which I've, I've described it previously, and I think this is still true, is that actually I use this, uh, this kind of platform and this ability to put a message out as my own kind of weird therapy as well. Because when mm. you talk about something, when you externalize it, and you realize that other people are going through the same thing, it makes it easier somehow to be able to then kind of go through those things. And, and that's what I was, that's what I've been using this platform for. If I have a problem or if I had a challenge or something like that, you know, I can do that. And that's once again, maybe a, a, a stereotypical difference between men and women is that women probably are more open to putting their challenges out there. Uh, and to be able to talk yeah. about them because women tend to be able to talk about these things more openly. Men, we are closed off, uh, once again, full of stereotypes here, but we're, we're not very course, good about yeah, talking yeah. about these things and definitely not putting it out there in a public domain for people to pick apart. Um, whereas I'm okay yeah. with that because actually the value I got back from it was more important than any kind of the, of the negative connotations that could have happened. So you know, that's one of the things that I've actually taken away from this, uh, this whole experience over the last years is that there are loads of people out there going through the same thing. And actually, if you're willing to share a little bit, you might get something back in return, which is obviously really beneficial. 
Yeah, of course. And I think what's really interesting is that for me, when I sort of got into this side of, I've been in and around social media for like over a decade. So social media wasn't new to me, but it was definitely this parenting space. Mm. It was really interesting just to see those conversations being had very openly about, you know, what people were going through, you know, dad's now sort of starting to come over and talk about the challenges that they were experiencing, or even just the fact that I suppose a lot more dads were being very, very active and were maybe a a lot more involved. Um, I noticed that a few years ago, there was a bit of a wave where, you know, dads were taking sort of a day off work and, you know, maybe only doing four days a week at work. And so that one extra day for them felt really, you know, really empowering to be able to spend that with, with their child. And, you know, the documentation of that was actually quite nice to, to be able to see. Yeah. Um, and then them talking about how they felt having to go back to work, you know, and, and sort of like missing that connection. There was, I think there's, there's been so much that's changed in on the, on the platform over the years, but you're right. I think dads as a whole, it's, it's not, it's not the dad thing to do. No, it's not um, <laughs> for, for, for the most part, um, you know, and um, I, I hope that changes. I, I think I would love to. And part of the reason behind this podcast is to, you know, delve into and have these conversations because some of my guests, you know, are people that I know from various worlds but I've never actually had that conversation with them about their role as, as a dad. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that, I think that's so, so important, you know, to actually, actually have that. Yeah. So you're now managing, you're, you're, you're doing your day job, which obviously, as you say, is, is the priority. You've got an Instagram account that is, is building very rapidly. People are enjoying it. I think, you know, the humor that you were putting on things, you know, that probably definitely helped. Um, the fact that it wasn't the polished pictures and videos that, you know, had become the norm around that time was, was definitely helping. Did you ever feel sort of under pressure to, to kind of keep that up or, or were you just genuinely enjoying the experience? I was enjoying it. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's yeah. one, it's kind of documenting life anyway. I, I enjoy mm. that process. Um, I'm quite, I'm one of these people that likes to look back. Um, and not forward too far because mm-hmm. I, I don't know why, but it's one of those things. I, I look back on things with rose tinted glasses and I like being able to see those memories because one of the things you realize as a parent is that time goes super quick. Like, I can't believe yeah. my eldest is 14 now. Like, where did that time mm-hmm. go? I, and I'm going to turn 40 soon, even though I look like I'm 56 already. But it's, um, <laughs> it's like one of those things. So like, and I'm glad that I've got that documentation um that's out there and i like i yeah. think i i was probably one of the the first ones in the parenting space to use video more as well um and mm. it almost reminiscing of like times when your dad had a camcorder or your mum had a camcorder and you look back at those old films yeah. and footage and i'm i'm glad i've got those things they were great i really enjoyed making them um and spending the time with the kids to be able to do that and you know just you know it was, it was good it was really enjoyable but um it's it's, I don't have any regrets about anything that I've ever posted on there. I've got I've heard things that I've learned from those processes, but it, I don't think I have regrets. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's just one of those things that you, you kind of go through and you mature and change as you go through, don't you? Yeah, definitely. And I think that because the space has constantly been evolving and, and social media has evolved, you know, there's, as you said there, there's more features that are now available than, you know, Instagram 
it was a photo sharing app in the early days. You put up photos of your dinner, yeah. maybe the odd sunset if you were on holiday. If you fell pregnant, you'd do a scan photo. That, that was essentially, I remember that's how I used to use Instagram in, in the very, very early days on my private account. Yeah. Um, so it, it has developed and it, it has evolved. And I guess for you then, when you, when you started sort of understanding and, and sort of seeing that there was kind of this commercial angle towards Instagram, mm. which again, you know, a relatively new thing. What was it about that that didn't make you get too excited? Because, you know, certain people, people message me all the time and they're saying, look, I, I want to leave my job and I want to do Instagram full time or, yeah. you know, I want to do something on social media full time. Is it that risk averse side of you that stopped you doing that? Or was it just never something that you thought that you would ever go into full time? As soon as you stop doing something as a hobby, it becomes a job. So I'd be stopping mm. one job for another job. Yeah. And I didn't want to do that. Um, I also wonder how long like, the longevity of things like this might be. Mm-hmm. I also didn't want to lose a grip on the reality of my actual day life. Like I, I didn't want to be one of those YouTube families you see jetting off around the world and doing crazy tasks and like rolling cans across the table to win $50 with other family members. Like, <laughs> That's, yeah, fine, as long as you get value from that, whatever you like. But it's not something that I enjoy. And I spent four years at university studying to do the thing that I'm doing now. And I like my job. Yeah. I'm good at my job. And uh, I'm I'm really happy with where I am. So, that's, I mean, there are a number of contributing factors to why I never went full-time with Instagram. But, I mean, it, I think mm. the, the main thing is that I've got four kids I, and I need to – teach them that social media is just a tool. It's not a way of life. Um, and if they saw me then becoming that person, uh, I'm not sure that it necessarily sends the message that I want to send or the example I want to set for them. Um, so yeah, they already spend enough time on social media, that, especially on TikTok, which is just <laughs> draining the life out of them. Um, so I didn't want to, I didn't want to go down that route. Yeah. And that's interesting because I suppose, I suppose, especially with your older girls, you know, when you started and as your profile on there was was just basically soaring and going through the roof, I guess they were probably at the age where they were starting to understand maybe a little bit more about sort of the internet and social media and, and yeah. the way that it works. And I'm always really interested. Did you ever sort of sit down and have conversations with them about social media? I mean, they might have not been old enough to have their own accounts, but I'm sure they, they must have had questions about yeah, social yeah, media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we've always talked to them about safety online and things like that. Um, right. And I think that we're probably more cognizant of what can and can't happen online, maybe. Um, and and right. therefore, a little bit more wary about, you know, their own personal accounts as they've got older, you know, they all, they all have accounts, of course they do. But they're, they're all set private, make sure you know who's following you, all of that kind of thing. Um, and just be aware of, you know, whatever you put out there is like an indelible mark on the internet, you know, so that's something that you just need to be aware of. But I think that's something that we all should be teaching all of our children. They're growing up in a world where everything they do is coordinated through an online universe. And that is a great for efficiency and being able to stay with, with connected with people, you know, across the world, but it's also has the ability to make you procrastinate hugely um, and not focus on the things that are actually important. And that's one of the things that I've tried to do. And people won't believe me when I say this, but I post on Instagram and then I just put my phone down. I don't spend my life on my phone. I do check DMs and all that kind of stuff. But if you looked at my usage Mm. of 
social media per day, I think it's probably somewhere between 20 and 30 minutes. Um, I don't spend right. any more time on it than that because I've I've got stuff to do, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, and if you're spending more time than that, like my daughter was yesterday, oh my God, she started her Easter holidays. And I, look, <laughs> I looked at her TikTok thing and I've had to put some screen limits on it because it was at like five hours, 45 minutes. I was yeah, like, that's it's... quite a lot to be spending on social media. Um, so yeah, it's one of those things that I try and put controls in, my, in place for myself. And we need to do the same with them as around screen time because, as I said, it, it can be this massive draw on on their time. Yeah. And and how do you manage that conversation? I mean, is it, is it an easy? Con- I, I guess with teenagers, I, I just imagine we've we've all got that that sort of uh, vision in mind of what raising teenagers is like. In that you know they're grumpy all the time and they don't want to listen and it's constant battle and, and things like that yeah but actually in reality how easy is it to have that conversation around screen time and social uh, media in well, general your your uh, imagination around what bring up a teenager is pretty much bang on 100 percent accurate <laughs> <laughs> oh i really wanted you to tell me that it's i was way off the mark no no no, no. Um, no no that's unfair um for 50 percent of the time she's perfectly lovely and and we're able to get on and you know she's just another member of the family but it's a difficult time for any teenager because they want to push the boundaries Mm. they want to know where they can be an individual where they can have their own responsibility for things and you remember buying being 13 or 14 you want to be 16 or 17 you've got that waiting period of like being able to go and do the things but you know, sort of wanting to dress that way or listen to the music that they do and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's difficult because she wants to be an adult, but we still have responsibility and control over some of these things. So I think mm. with with Anya, I've made it quite clear when it's revision time, when we're coming up with exams and all that kind of stuff, we need to put in place some controls around you know, having your phone in your room or not in your room and you know, like what screen yeah. time you should be having and what, what time of the day we should be doing things. Because if she had it her own way, she'd be getting up at two in the afternoon um, and then on TikTok for four hours, she'd probably revise between 11 p.m. and midnight and then stay <laughs> up until four in the morning watching films on Netflix. That's not healthy, yeah. but that's what she would do. <laughs> um, so it's, yeah. it's one of those things that we're learning as we go along, but no one's written kind of a handbook on teenagers, unfortunately. Um, and I'm not sure I'd even read it if there was one out there, to be honest, because everyone's individual. So it's it's yeah. one of those things that we're learning. But um, yeah, it, it's always a, a frosty subject because it feels like you're touching per- something personal to them. No, this is my space. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, I'm, I'm a few years off it with, with our kids and I just, but I, I do look ahead and just think the way the world is set up, obviously everything, as you say, is, is geared towards social media. You don't want to deprive them of it because that's part of everyday life. But yeah definitely there's got to be some sort of time management and yeah. it sounds as though you know because you've been having those conversations from quite an early age i guess that probably is helping yeah. you know with with that yeah and there, need, there needs to be a degree of trust in there as well like with your with your kids like because i think yeah. loads of parents but clemmy and i were having this conversation last night we're all concerned about what our kids might be seeing online but mm. I think our children are probably more savvy at picking out what's real, what's not, um, and being able yeah. to decipher that stuff than we are. Well, like we all have this massive concern that they're going to be bombarded with all of this, you know, misinformation, blah blah blah. If you ask a child how to find out the truth about something online, they will find a way quite quickly because they're actually quite um, like 
really brilliant at um, using the internet to find out things they want to find. Um, so yeah. I give them a bit more credit in, in terms of being able to do that kind of stuff and, and also take safeguards for themselves. They don't need to expose themselves to certain things and they know that. Um, so mm. that's something else where you just have to have a little bit of trust that, you know, they are smart enough and clever enough. Um, and in many cases, more than we might give them credit for. Yeah. And I think the, for me, I think the, the big thing is about those lines of communication. You know, the moment that they see or some hear something that just doesn't feel right. Yeah. Then maybe having that conversation and, you know, sort of being able to approach you. And I guess as a parent, if you've handled things in a delicate way, and if you've kind of kept those lines of communication open, then surely it does make it easier for your child to come to you if there is an issue. Yeah. Um, I hear some real horror stories about kids that, you know, are essentially sat in their rooms, for example, and they're being bullied online. Yeah. And they feel as though they can't speak to their parent. And I, I always wonder, is that because there's been some sort of, you know, conversation around social media that feels very negative or you know yeah. the, the 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 communication just isn't open no. um you know i don't know enough about that subject to speak you know that confidently on it but it's something that i do think about on a regular basis you know i would yeah. hate the fact that one of my children could be in that situation well, we, well i think we all think as parents we've created a safe environment for our children to feel like they can talk yeah. right the mm. the thing is that we can do all we can but it's a lot of the way that a child might feel is not necessarily about that, just that relationship with a parent, but it's around what's happening in the external environment, whether it's embarrassing, whether it's going to have repercussions outside of the family to be able to talk about these things, what those repercussions might be, you know, the, pulling all of that apart is a big thing. Um, and I think that's, I, I feel like I've made a lot of effort to make sure that we're open about stuff, that we talk about stuff, mm. but that doesn't necessarily guarantee that it's going to work both ways. Um, because yeah. you know, you, you can't, you can't necessarily make someone share something with you if you, if they don't want to. And also the reality as well, I suppose, from a, from a child's perspective is that you tell mom and dad that you've seen something on this particular social media platform. You, the, 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 the natural reaction, I guess, from the parent side is right. I don't want you to see shut that ever down. again, you know, shut it down completely. Yeah. And, the, you know, because if because as a parent you think that's the way of dealing with it whereas i suppose with a bit more thought and a bit more thinking you go okay well you've seen this or this has happened yeah. you know now we've got to try and put steps in place to make sure that that doesn't happen again yeah. or it's it's such a minefield honestly well, there's also the danger that you could get into a blame situation as well with yeah. your child like blaming your child like for for something they've seen on the internet which is obviously not necessarily their fault at all um but you know, you, it's almost like you're deflecting your own guilt for getting them into a situation where they could see this onto them, and then for therefore it's their fault. And actually, that's like the worst yeah. thing you can do because you end up both feeling awful. So, but it's an easy situation I can see people getting into, and I think I've probably done it myself even. Um, that yeah, you just have to kind of step back from and not have necessarily a knee jerk reaction to things. Take let them percolate for a little bit. This is this is the thing that annoys Clemmy about me that I step back a little bit, I wait, and then yeah. let things calm down. <laughs> Clemmy wants to have it out straight away, so <laughs> I, I, I think my re more reserved one is usually the winner in the situation of calming things down. But yeah, hey ho, definitely. And I, th I think it's interesting you use the word deflect there. I think there's also an element of projection in terms of you know sometimes I think about the times when 
I was not listening to my parents or, you know, I knew that they'd said something and I was kind of, you know, trying to push those boundaries a little bit. Um, and so I would be thinking, oh, well, my child's definitely going to do the same as me, you know? Yeah. And I guess this, this is where, as you said, I think we've got to give our kids credit for, you know, the, the young adults that they are becoming, I guess, essentially, um, is, is what we have yeah. to do. As long as we've got some guide rails in place, then it, they should be okay. Yeah. Should be. They, they can figure it out. So going back to the the family growing, yeah. you, you've you got two, you are, things are, are going well, then you find out you're having twins, yeah. which as you said, wasn't, planned you you know weren't expecting that do you remember the moment that you found out about the twins i don't know if i remember the specific once again this is a a family trait of blacking out things that have (laughs) emotional responses um i think the um i think my initial response was oh my god why (laughs) and and then and then i was like they're definitely going to be girls as well aren't they i was like definitely going to be girls um i was just nervous about it to be honest with you i thought yeah i was i was happy that we were going to have more children um but Mm. as i said no one really plans for twins no one goes into it thinking twins definitely um so we spent a bit of time with some friends who have twins to just to kind of understand from them what are those early days like because any information you can arm yourself with to start with then helps you emotionally get over some of those hurdles. And yeah. it was really good just to sit down and have lunch and, and talk to them about what that first six months to a year was like, how the, how it worked in their household. Um, you know, they've got four kids as well. So, you know, the, uh, the older ones can even help a little bit, which is good. And actually, when you start to get into it, um, it's not as daunting. Um, I think, especially in those first six months, they're not going to go anywhere. They're not going to run around. You can't really do too much. Um, so yeah. it's one of those things you kind of learn how it's going to best work for your family. But, um, yeah, I do remember Clemmy having the, having the babies and I must say it's, it's quite strange for her cause she goes to work to have her babies. It's like me going into of the course, office and yeah. having a baby. <laughs> it's so weird. So she has lots of colleagues that are kind of coming in while she's like in the birth and birthing pool. It's like, all right, how are you doing? It's like, can you guys all just go away, please? She's having a baby. She's not at work. Um, but yeah. she's actually having two babies today. Um, so that was a weird one for me to, to kind of see how it works because that would throw her off in terms of her, um, uh, her contractions and things. Cause she'd go back into work mode. I was like, no, stop. Right. Um, but yeah, so I remember, um, Delilah had come along first and I was holding Delilah. I was like, you know, that moment when you're holding your child, and you're like the world kind of stops a little bit and you're kind of taking everything mm. in, looking at them in the eyes. And then someone said, number two is coming. I was like, oh my God, I've forgotten. I'm having a second The, the realisation just <laughs> yeah. hits you again. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is over. Thank, thank. Oh no, she's having another one. Um, and then uh, the weirdest part was actually getting home with two babies and like just plonking them down yeah. in, the, in the car seats on the floor in the living room. I was like, what the hell do we do now? <laughs> like it's, it's ridiculous. Um, but it's a, it, you quickly learn it's a division of labour. And well, yeah. and we actually almost separately parent the twins, um, although I was right. regularly getting them mixed up. So I kind of just picked that one up because <laughs> they, they're identical <laughs> twins. Um, so I would have one in one room and Clemmy would be in the other room at nighttime because they weren't in sync. And so they would just be up all night. So we thought, OK, mm. we'll sleep in separate rooms. And uh, I was in um, one room and I, I thought, oh, I've come up with a really good idea for, for bottle feeding here. I'll, instead of getting up in the night and leaving her up here on her own, I'll, I'll pre-make bottles 
Um, but how am I going to keep it warm? Um, I know I'll leave, I'll put it between my thighs. Um, <laughs> and of course it exploded all over me, uh, in the middle of the night. I oh. thought, Oh my God, I've had a wet dream. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and obviously it wasn't. Um, uh, but then I slowly learned my process, like, and then we've, we've worked out how to make it work, but you know, it might be very different for other families that maybe they all you know, cram into one room and, uh, and it works for them that way. But for us, we were kind of living parallel lives, each with a child. So it, it was kind of like being a single parent during the nights. And then we kind of come back during together in the morning. Wow. And it's, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm, I take my hat off to anyone with multiples because I just, I don't physically understand the mechanics of, of, <laughs> of how it must work. Um, so that, that's been a really good insight. And I think what was really interesting there was you sort of saying about how you had that conversation with the friends that had twins yeah and i guess i talk about this in the trailer to this podcast in that when i became a dad for the first time i was the first in my friendship group to yeah. have children so i just didn't have those people around to go and have those conversations with no and it had never crossed my mind to even have that conversation with my dad because i just figured that things were so different you know times were so different back when you had me or, or whatever yeah so it's really interesting a that as you do get older, you find that you have a lot more people that have those conversations. But I guess it's part of the reason I like these conversations, because I think for anyone that's a prospective parent that might be listening, that might find themselves in a situation, they've got someone that they can use as a reference point. Obviously, social media is a lot more open now, so you can kind of have, you can reach out to anyone nowadays, can't you? And yeah. just ask those questions and yeah, yeah. hopefully they, they they sort of answer you back but it's um yeah it's really interesting i think the i think the, the one thing to kind of bear in mind though is that with parenting it, it's great to learn from other people but you should it's a dangerous place to start comparing yourself to other people um because what works for one person and one family is not necessarily going to work for another one um everyone comes mm -hmm. from different situations um and you've got different backgrounds and different um environments around you different working schedules all of that kind of stuff and, th and those different things have big impacts on the way that you might do something so it's great for learning and thinking about how maybe to do things differently if you are struggling with certain things but don't fall into that trap of thinking because you followed this thing it's going to work 100 percent for you um because that's yeah. that's quite a dangerous territory to get into because then you you start to feel down on yourself because you can't do it but someone else can yeah isn't that i mean there's that expression is it comparison is the thief of joy or something like that <laughs> well if it isn't one then that. it sounds like it should be <laughs> <laughs> it should be let's, let's let's put that out there as a, as a as a new phrase if i've just made that up but i feel as though it kind of there's some sense in that in that it does surprise me actually quite a lot particularly and again on social media you see this where people will message you and you know talk about your life through the eyes that they've been able to see it you know yeah oh that's amazing everything's so perfect you got and i'm thinking well you, you're seeing such a snippet of what's yeah. going on in my day-to-day -day life that yeah. i guess you so, sometimes i almost feel like I have to kind of then explain the not so nice things that happen because, you know, just for, just for some sort of balance, it's, yeah. you know, everyone needs to know that it's, it's not, it's not all absolutely perfect around here. No. Um, so I think, and again, when, you know, with you guys having twins, I think that was again, something that on social media was such a, an eye opener for, for a lot of people. Again, you know, sort of seeing that documented in the world of multiples and the challenges that, 
that you were kind of faced with. Did you find that people were sort of leaning on you for a bit of advice around, you know, bringing up multiples? Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's it's weird because you don't, <laughs> you're supposed to give advice in a situation you're learning as you're going through. It's like, no, this yeah. is, I'm not necessarily the person <laughs> to listen to here. This is, I, I'm, I'm messing up as much as you. Don't worry about it. Um, but it's nice to be able to at least kind of talk to someone who might be experiencing the same issue, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, and like sleep is obviously such a big thing when you've got young kids, not just for the kids themselves, but for you as well. Like I was sleep deprived, quite heavily sleep deprived with the twins. Um, and I'm still not recovered yet, as you can see. Um, <laughs> still, but it's, still but it's just one of those things that goes with parenting, I guess. Um, but it, it's that almost that safety in numbers, you know, you know that someone else is going through it and you can share tidbits that you've come across and they may or may not work for other people. But yeah, it, there was this kind of this feeling that I'd become like a guru, uh, at, mm. at which point I was definitely not. And I still don't think I am now because <laughs> I'm kind of learning it as you go. But um, yeah, it, it comes part and parcel of being, you know, online, I guess, and being open. But I, I read, I read all my DMs, and I, I make sure I reply with help where I can, because um, I think it's important. Yeah. If someone's going to at least reach out to ask a question, it means that they're asking for a reason, which means I, I should make the effort to respond. Yeah, no, I can totally, totally relate to that. With that, we talked about the pressure to kind of keep using social media, but I suppose, did you feel that pressure to? always have an answer or or are you just you know fairly open with people and just say look you know this is what I'm going for or this is what works for me or what doesn't work I think I've um I'm, I'm pretty kind of easy going on that side of things like if, if there's if there's a I don't feel the need to kind of provide advice I, I don't want to be in a situation mm-hmm. where I'm seen as this fountain of knowledge because I'm not like I'm just another person yeah. who's maybe got a bit more experience than you um in certain areas yeah. that but in other areas, I'm sure I don't have enough experience. Uh, and I think those are the things that we're all kind of learning. But where I can, can share information or sh- share my experience, then I'm more than happy to um, if it's going to help someone. And invariably, I get messages then later on to um, to explain how it's gone or, or to yeah. kind of give me an update. And I, I feel like I've had some kind of input that may have made a difference, which is great. Um, but the ones that really kind of value uh, that I get, uh, that I think are, are valuable are the ones where men have reached out um, and actually just acknowledge the fact that they're struggling or acknowledge, yeah. that, uh, acknowledge that, you know, they need some help or they can't talk to their wife about how they feel or something like that. And, and there, that's where I get this kind of therapy feeling for, um, through social media is that I can provide some, that some shoulder support for someone just by responding to them yeah. and acknowledging them, how they feel and saying, you know what, I felt like that as well. Those are the ones that are really important because, we cut, we touched on this earlier. Men aren't necessarily great at sharing how they feel. They might have one or two people that they feel confident in confiding with. They might not have anyone and they might yeah. not be able to talk to their wife or partner or whatever about how they feel because that might change the view of how they look at them or whatever, for whatever reason. And so there's been any number of conversations over the last couple of years where I've become that kind of shoulder to just cry on, not cry on but you know share and 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 i'm more yeah. than happy just to listen and it's sometimes easier to talk to someone who you don't know that's the point of therapy yeah. in some in many cases isn't it um so that's one of the real great things that has come from this and i do feel like that's where i can add value even if it's not to provide advice it's just to listen yeah and and this is what i mean when whatever negative side of things come out about social media it's like those moments that for me 
I get, I guess that's kind of what, why I still feel such a loving attachment to it because a, I've been the person who's asked somebody a question and, mm. you know, got a bit of a response back, or I've been the person that's been asked. And as you say, that feeling of knowing that you've been able to help, it's yeah. actually, that's quite a nice feeling. Um, yeah. you know, and that's a, and, it, and it's also one of those, it's also one of those things that people won't know about, which is great. Like it's just one of those yeah. things that happens, but you got, you don't want to crow about the nice things sometimes. Um, yeah. And then everyone kind of gets this preconception of, oh, it's all, you know, negative or whatever. There are so many good things happening, but they're all in the background. Um, and it's between yeah. one-to-one individuals where people have actually had a chance to talk rather than people mm. judging someone else on a post or whatever it might be. So that's, that's it's, as you say, it's one of those nice things, but it doesn't necessarily get seen by people. Yeah. And I think it does then show up what your true intentions are on, on mm. social media, because if you're happy to have those conversations in the background and, you know, be a source of advice and guidance for people without, you know, taking screenshots and sharing it with yeah. all of your followers to get everybody else's opinion on, on the topic or whatever it might be, yeah. then I think that really says a lot about you know, the individual yeah. that, that is using the platform. Over the years, you've you've obviously used social media in, in various guises. And I know that there's been a time where you've had to take sort of a bit of a backseat from social media mm-hmm. and, you know, just not use it as, as actively. How did you sort of feel at that moment? I mean, was there ever a point where you just thought, right, I'm just not going to use social media ever again? Yeah, I mean, um, I took a what was it three month break um right didn't even open social media for three months didn't even check it didn't look at it was that an easy thing to do because i imagine i can't imagine i mean short of deleting it off my phone yeah i I don't know if i still kind of did is that what you did did you have to delete it or um did i delete it i don't even remember if i did i've as i said i've kind of got this relationship with instagram and, and social media where I can take it or leave it. So if, you know, it's, right. it's, I, and I'm quite fortunate in that sense because I, it's like, I, I see it for what it is. It's a thing that can be used, but doesn't have to be used. And mm. I was quite good at just kind of putting it down. Um, and right. I honestly didn't feel like I'd missed anything. Um, I got my news through news websites. I saw my friends <laughs> in real life. And in many ways, it mm. was kind of beneficial because it made me do things that, I wouldn't have done otherwise. Like I would actually go and physically see people rather than just, you know, you know, DMing them through Instagram or whatever. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that kind of break was good. Not, I think not just for like my relationship with social media, but probably also my mental health as well, just to kind of take that step mm. back. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's one of those things now that I don't post every day. I think about the, I think about the, the frequency by things I used to do and how worked up I used to get if I couldn't get a post out or if the internet was down and all of that kind of stuff. And now it's like, yeah. I, I post because I want to post, not because I feel I need to post. Mm. Um, and I think that's the, that's the difference. And I think I, I, I just got that sense with you when, when you'd sort of come back from that short hiatus, it, it felt like, initially you were kind of just finding your feet again and you know you were you were just kind of using it but I could still sort of tell that actually yeah you were just probably actually enjoying it a lot more now Mm. than than before and what you've just said there makes total sense because I think once you are when you're embedded in it from you know whether that's just because you are feeling like you've got to update everybody every single day as some people do or if commercially you're using social media and now there are you know contracts and there are you know 
essentially when there's money involved, yeah, that does sort of create a a lot of tension. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's one of those things you have to balance, I guess. They're like, what, what's, what are the priorities in life? Is it about you posting something that you did at the weekend, or is it about real life stuff that you actually need to sort out? And the answer should always be mm. real world stuff, um, like that. And that's yeah. one of the things that you know. It's been a journey to make sure you you're prioritizing the right things. But I think that comes with maturity and your your knowledge of how you use social media and how social media works and all of that kind of stuff. And I don't want to get trapped in a conversation around that. But it's it's <laughs> it's just you know it, it should be what it is, it, which is fun. And if it's not fun, then yeah. what are you doing? Yeah, I think, and I'd, I'd say again. Over the last few years, I think there has been this sort of tendency with social media. Obviously, everyone's very opinionated. People follow you because they like you in the early days. And then it doesn't take long before people start to follow you just to moan or just to complain about what it is that you're doing, which I can't personally understand. I can't get my head around that psychology, but we know it's a very real thing. Yeah, I've experienced the same thing. It's like, it's what's... Why would you bother to put the energy into saying something mean to someone um, and, and like do it in the DMs as well? And like you come back and it's like, mm. honestly, have you got not, <laughs> nothing better to do with your time? But then actually, then I, then I start to think, okay, well, maybe this person's got something else going on. Right? It's not necessarily just about mm. me. Maybe, and it's really easy to judge. I mean, I'm just not one of those people that I just don't put my opinion out on other people's content i'm really not that interested or fussed about what they're doing yeah right it's it's nice to be able to kind of look at what that's going on in their lives but it's as you as we've been discussing throughout the whole thing it's a little snapshot it's something from their life it's not necessarily who they are or what they what they're about and therefore i don't really kind of put opinions about other people out there it's not my place and i don't want to because it just draws attention that you don't need so why would you bother but there are obviously people that are out there that do so it's up to them yeah and again a very dark side of social media but one that i mean i don't want to focus on it because i think you know almost shining a spotlight on that is almost counterproductive because as we've said we've we've both experienced some real positives um from social media I mean, I guess from my side, it's good to see that you're, you know, you're active now. You're, you're using it in the way in which you feel comfortable. I think the way in which you kind of still talk about things and describe things. Your, your Mother's Day post yesterday was were hilarious. Um, you know, that was that was quite interesting. So I think you'll you'll always have that unique sort of style, which I think is kind of why so many people, I guess, fell in love with with the account and it's been really good to kind of just delve maybe that a little bit deeper into you know what things have been like behind the scenes because i think there's 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 lots of different challenges i suppose one of your most recent challenges is with marnie's diagnosis with diabetes you've been very open with that yeah that's once again this is my my coping mechanism i guess and and marnie and i've talked about this a lot as well because as the children have got older you know it's their choice whether or not they are included um Mm. my eldest is hardly ever in any pictures anymore that's fine she doesn't want to be that's no, that's no problem um and marnie you know and i talked about this and said that you're weirdly in a position where you can talk about diabetes and it might help people uh, and it has been hugely mm. beneficial but i didn't want to put that pressure on an 11 year old's cho- shoulders to say of course you could become the face of diabetes let's let's help mm. everyone um <laughs> but you know she's that kind of character where she did want to talk about it and in the same way that she 
uh, that I express myself and and find it emotionally supportive to be able to talk about something openly into the black void, which is a phone. Um, mm. She's found that quite useful as well. And I think that's something that has helped us on our journey connect about, you know, how diabetes affects not just her, but also me and, and Clemmie mm. and the rest of the family. Because it is a it is a diagnosis that has an impact on everyone, um, obviously primarily on Marnie, but then on Clemmie and myself in terms of admin, making sure we're staying on top of all the medication, staying up at night to make sure we're doing insulin readings, like knowing what to do in certain situations, then educating school and staff and, you know, where we, if we go on holiday, what we have to do and all that kind of stuff. There's a huge amount of admin load that goes with it. And it's been a steep learning process. But in that year, I think we've also been able to help a lot of people who may have felt a little bit isolated as as they were going through that process of discovering they might have type 1 diabetes. And and at least we've got some experience that we can share um, from that as well. And it's been an up and down year, but it has, we've got to a stage where it's been a year now. And Marnie is as happily and bubbly as she ever has been. Of course, she has that those ups and downs where she's like, "Why me? What did I do wrong?" Mm. And and for as a parent, that's a really painful thing to hear. It's like, well, how? Bet, yeah. It's nothing to do with you, and I wish I could take it away from you, but I'm kind of powerless. And this is the first thing in my parenting life where I've not been able to do something about it, which is frustrating hugely. But um, yeah, it's something we've learned to roll with amazing and it's been good i mean that's the one thing that i've noticed from the comments alone whenever you've posted about it i just sort of just scan the comments and people below are you know opening up or saying that they now feel you know that they can talk about it a little bit more you know it's so again again just such a an unexpected turn of events for you guys as a family but something that yeah you i think have seemed to turn into a positive if if there if there is one that, that yeah. can come from something well, like this. I, I think with all of these things, like it, it's better to be able to talk about these things openly and share where you're struggling or share where you're doing well because it it's not just therapeutic for yourself, but more people might get something from it. Um, and and Marnie's been really good at. We've done a couple of interviews over the last year where we mm. she's talked about how it's affected her. And I've this, the number of messages I've had from people who said their daughter or their son watched that and it was exactly how they yeah. felt, and, but now they knew it was okay because there aren't loads of people with type 1 diabetes. There are, there's a few. If you're in a school, you might have one or two. Um, Marnie's the only one in her school. So you're not necessarily going to have many children with the same experience. So for them, it was really good just to hear from another 11-year-old that you know th- this is normal, this is how it's okay to feel. And, you know, you will go through these experiences, but, you know, you'll, you'll learn from them. So that's been quite amazing. And I don't think she knows just how powerful that has been for others. Yeah. And again, you know, credit to you guys in terms of how, you, you know, as you said, you sat down, you had that conversation with her. And, you know, I think it's been managed absolutely amazingly. Um, and I, I know that she's definitely helping other people. So that's amazing. Yeah. Well, I'll make sure I'll share that with her because um, she, she, she likes to hear it. Please do. Please do. So we're going to end things on this episode, as I do with all my guests, where I ask them two questions. The first question, if you were to look back on your time as a dad, as a series of diary entries, is there a moment or moments that stand out to you the most? I thought, I don't know if it's a, a chapter, but and it's probably the same chapter for each of my children, but that part from when they go from a baby to a toddler, 
like that stage where they stop being that wriggly piece of meat and become a person <laughs> and that you interact with and you can see the humor developing in them. That is the one stage of my dad diary, I guess, that I look back on fondly and wish I could encapsulate mm. in a bottle because that is the moment where they cease to be just that pain that you have to look after all the time and become a true member of your family and, and a rep- representation of what you are. Um, so that if I could distill that, that would be the one that I, the chapter I keep going back to. Amazing. It's we're going through that with Otis at the moment and it's such a, such a fun stage. Yeah. And the second question is, is there a date in the diary that you're most looking forward to this year? Oh, good question. Um, well, there are a couple. So am I allowed two or three answers? You can go for it, yeah. Okay. So um, the first one is April 30th. I'm doing a 225-kilometer ride uh, in Mallorca for Diabetes wow. UK, which is uh, and with 4,500 meters of climbing. That's my busy, biggest cycling challenge that I've ever done. And I'm really looking forward to it, but I'm also incredibly daunted by the fact that I've got to do all this in one day. Um, I'm so tired that, just listening, just <laughs> thinking about that. To be it's, it's, going to be a, it's going to be a challenge. Um, and then the second one would be, uh, I don't know which specific data it is, but it's at the end of August, which is our first holiday for three years, um, going abroad right. and going to Turkey and just having two weeks to do nothing. Like I, I do feel like I really need a break. <laughs> I don't feel like I've had one for a long time. And I'm just looking forward to the kids being in kid, kids club. So I don't have to worry about them. <laughs> That's it, essentially. You've got, so, the perfect, yeah. you've got the perfect ages for it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, the cycling challenge and going on holiday. Those are my two things. Amazing. Well, I think there's definitely going to be a lot of people that are feeling that holiday one after the uh, the last couple of years that we've had. So I, I hope you guys have the, the most amazing time. Simon, thank you so much for your time today. Really enjoyed the conversation. And um, yeah, I think, you know, continue doing what you're doing. And uh, yeah, I look forward to following you for many more years to come (laughs) thank you for having me on ben and as as i mentioned if people do want to send me dms questions or anything that they have then you know i read them all and i will respond um so just you know reach out i can't promise i'll provide the best advice but i'll provide something amazing thank you so much okay thank you bye-bye